My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. It feels like a decade ago that I excitedly described my home studio setup to you guys. That was really just March. But in the early days of this pandemic, we were all just trying to figure out how it was going to be possible to have everyone working from home. And swapping stories about our crude home office setups was kind of a fun thing to do. And here we are, eight months later. The shine has long since worn off that little conversation starter. It's no longer cute to be working from your kitchen table or your bed. There's no novelty left to this working-from-home lifestyle, and a lot of people are realizing that they'll be doing it until at least next summer. And listen, you also can't complain about it too much because lots of people would kill to have a job that keeps them safe at home right now. It's one thing to still have a job in this pandemic, though, and it's another to have a career. Since this began, most people who moved to working from home have been trying to get through one day and then the next to keep the kids fed and quiet to make that next Zoom meeting to make it to the end of the day, answer the last email and keep their heads above water until things get back to normal. That, as you might imagine, is a recipe for burnout. It's a recipe for poor mental health and it means abandoning any notion of an actual career. So what can those of us, and I include myself here, who are staring down another year of this do to shift from survival mode to planning for a real future. And if you're a boss of any kind, what do your employees need from you right now? Is it really another mandatory Zoom happy hour? How can workers who want to keep their careers moving do that virtually when you can't network in person, when nobody notices how late you stay at the office, when there are no chance encounters with the CEO in the elevator? What do careers look like over the next year and beyond? And what can you do to plan and prepare for it? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Dr. Sonia Kang is the Canada Research Chair in Identity, Diversity and Inclusion at the University of Toronto, where she is also an Associate Professor of Organizational Behavior and HR Management, and just for the record, she's also the host of a new podcast called For the Love of Work that looks at work life, especially during this pandemic. Hello, Dr. King. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. No problem. I'm hoping that we can uh, get to the bottom of how our, well, how everyone's career uh, has been blown away by the past eight months. Yeah, absolutely. We can try. Well, let's start with kind of the, the big transition, because I think um, when most of us left the office to work from home in March, there was kind of a notion, you know, at least uh, with me and my team, that maybe it would be a few weeks or a month, and uh, and it hasn't been that, and it looks like it will be much more than that. And, and how did that impact us uh, in the short term when we left versus how it, it might have done it if we'd known, like, okay, this is going to be long term? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think all of us kind of left not knowing how long this would go on for. In fact, you know, in recording the podcast, when we started actually doing the record, we were also under that same kind of assumption that this would be like a couple of weeks, maybe a month, you know, Um, and we kind of had to adjust those expectations. And I think the big stressor around all of this is that violation of expectations that people had going into this period. Um, And I think that because of that, you know, this has become a chronic stressor and still is in many ways where we really require a lot of resilience to be able to continue to cope with the situation. You know, resilience is interesting because I think people think about resilience in the way that they're like, okay, either I have resilience or I don't. Um, Or, you know, I admire this person because they're so resilient and they're doing so well right now. But I think what's really important to take away from this experience is how much resilience many of us have been able to build over the course of this pandemic and how important it is to think about resilience as something that you can build, right? It's like a skill like any other skill. We have to learn how to experience stress and then recover from that stress. And I think that's been the real challenge of this kind of like bait and switch where we thought this was going to be super short, but then it ended up going on for so much longer is that we've had to continue and continue and continue. And that has required so much resilience building. Yeah. And I mean, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you is because of your area of expertise and because of your podcast, which also focuses on uh, even during, you know, the quote unquote unprecedented times, continuing to develop your career, which is something that Look, I don't think many of us uh, have thought about, like, how much of the past eight months have just been about keeping our heads above water from day to day while working from wherever we can? I would say a lot of it. I think that that depends, obviously, from person to person. And it also depends, you know, day to day, right? So you might have a really great day, and then the next day is just, you know, unbearable, and it's really hard to cope with anything. Um, And I think that this is one thing that having this go on for, as you said, eight months has really shown is how much things can change from day to day. And that's required, I think, a reorientation around our idea of flexibility and our idea of like who we are, you know, as people. And I think it's also important to keep in mind that this has had really disparate impacts, right? Some people have been affected, um, much more severely, right? Like they're more exposed. That might be due to their jobs. It might be due to their personal circumstances. Some people have been more protected from this. You know, those who have kind of the option, the opportunity to work from home, it's been different. Um, And so I think, you know, the extent to which we've been kind of keeping our heads above water might differ from person to person. But for the most part, I think, you know, we've all been struggling more so than we were, you know, before the pandemic. And we'll get to how to keep the career moving in the midst of all this in a minute, because that's kind of the crux of our conversation. But also from from a human resources perspective, how do HR practices change when uh, you have to acknowledge that everybody is under a ton of stress and not everybody has the same level of resilience? And, you know, as you mentioned, not everybody is impacted the same way or has the same amount of space to work from home or childcare or, you know, when everybody's in the office, you can kind of assume that that the playing field is mostly level, but you can't now. Yeah, I think that that really requires a lot of personalization and mindfulness on the part of managers um, and, you know, companies that want to be progressive during this time, I think, really need to pay attention to 
tailoring their HR approaches. And actually, that's really what the podcast is about, is about this concept called the employee experience, which basically means putting the needs and the experiences of employees first and really thinking about them as individuals and thinking about what they might need. And so, you know, it's really hard, I think, for people who are leading teams during this time, right? It's a very different time, a very difficult time to be leading people, you know, not only at work, but also through a very difficult personal time, right? right? And so that requires a very different kind of leadership than, you know, during pre-pandemic times where we're kind of just helping people develop in their careers, you know, thinking about meeting certain deadlines and certain, you know, tasks that we want to get done. I think now, at least in progressive companies, there's been much more of a focus in sort of this holistic um, leadership and helping people move through the pandemic as well. And that's required this really tailored approach for human resources. Can you give me some examples? Yeah, I would say one thing for sure is thinking about how people are using their time during the day. We have this idea of, okay, everyone's working from home, and so there's a lot of flexibility. Um, And so this is really great because we can give people the option to work at different times. But I think what the trap that people can fall into with that is working too much, right? And not taking breaks. You know, there's a lot of research on this showing that when people work from home, they actually work a lot more than if they were working in the office. And I think the kind of, you know, perception that people have is that when people are at home, they're slacking, they're like, you know, doing laundry all day or whatever, watching TV. Um, But that's actually not the case. We actually know that people are working longer when they're at home and it's bleeding into this other time that's supposed to be protected, right? Protected for them to, you know, take care of themselves, take care of their families. Um, And so I would say that one example of HR practice that hopefully companies are doing right now is really communicating to employees that it's okay to do something as simple as take breaks, right? Like, have you taken a break? You know, are you sleeping? Like these kinds of kind of check-ins around these sort of more basic human needs, I think is really important to build into your HR practices right now. What about from the other side of the equation? You know, there were probably a ton of people who were taking either the the first steps uh, in their careers as this year began or who began this year, you know, with with big plans of, of climbing the ladder and networking and, and doing all that stuff that you would do around the office to, uh, you know, advance yourself. And uh, how do you stand out and, and get notice and take those steps when everything is a Zoom call and everything is virtual? There's no chance encounters uh, in the halls to, to chat up the boss, I guess. Yeah, I think that's really hard. And like you said, you know, I really feel for those people who – kind of just starting out their careers and then, you know, the pandemic hit and it kind of puts everything that you've learned going into this, you know, all of the things that we teach in school about how to network and how to stand out and all these different things kind of have to shift into a different direction. Um, I will say though that, you know, now that we're kind of seven, eight months into this, I think that a lot of the same sort of cues that you would pick up on in person, um, I think people are becoming more adept at picking up on, you know, over a Zoom call or in virtual environments. And so I think, you know, showing engagement and enthusiasm online, I think may have been really challenging at first, right? When we were all kind of like learning how to interact online and on these Zoom calls, I think, you know, it seems very detached and impersonal. Now I'm finding people are 
more comfortable. I noticed, you know, people are using video more, um, you know, and doing a lot of the things that you would do in person that I think people didn't think to do at the beginning. So like, you know, smiling, um, just like simple things, smiling, connecting with people around kind of shared interests. And I would say, you know, on the video front, there's obviously not, you're not going to be able to use video all the time, but I think when and if you can, when you feel comfortable, it's an easy way to sort of show that you're paying attention, show that, you know, you're mindfully in the moment you're engaged with what's going on. Again, you know, you won't feel like that every day and on every call, but it's definitely something, a tool that you can use to show those same things that people would pick up on in person that you're engaged. What about how the nature of virtual meetings, whether it's Zoomer or other platforms or whatever, um, how a virtual meeting can kind of change the dynamics of certain behaviors? You know, some people like to talk a lot of meetings. Some people are very quiet and, and introspective, and then they come out with something that really uh, turns the tide. And h- how do those behaviors change when they're all done virtually? Because I know some people really have trouble breaking into like a virtual meeting, for instance. Yeah, this is a really hard topic, I think, because this was really difficult in person for people who, you know, fall on the more sort of introverted side of the introversion, extroversion spectrum. There's a lot of research showing that perceptions of competence, perceptions of engagement, perceptions of productivity are all kind of linked to cues around extroversion. So like talking a lot, talking really often. And it's traditionally always been more of a struggle for people who are more introverted to kind of get noticed at work. When you're thinking about adapting to this virtual environment, it's all of the same cues that people are looking for. So to the extent that you can act extroverted, you know, in a meeting, which means planning ahead with, you know, thinking about the kinds of points that you want to bring up or having goals for yourself. You know, I want to contribute one idea here. I want to like speak up you know, two or three times, something like that, just to sort of guide people's perceptions of, you know, how engaged and how involved you are. This period of time, I think, is also an opportunity for us to sort of redefine what it means, I think, to be an engaged and ideal worker and really rethink what we want to stand out for, right? So I think some of the old models of, you know, what a good worker is are kind of no longer relevant. So, you know, We should be prioritizing much more so now things like empathy, flexibility, you know, putting your own and others' self, like safety and well-being ahead of just, you know, putting your head down and trying to get your job done. Um, And I think, you know, we're seeing at the organizational level, progressive companies are sort of shifting in this direction, right? Where, yes, they're trying to still hit their same targets and, you know, meet their same goals, at the same time, they're really trying to look out for their employees, right? And they're really trying to make sure that their health and well-being um, is taken care of during this time. And so we should be also, I think, at the individual level, giving ourselves the permission to think about ways that we can stand out by enacting those kinds of behaviors as well, right? So it's not just all about the job anymore and getting the job done, but also about connecting with others, making sure that we're all kind of okay and taking care of each other, I think is another way to stand out during this time. Here's another thing you kind of touched on earlier that I just wonder about the practicality of. Uh, how do you network during a pandemic? It it doesn't feel as natural as, you know, asking someone to like grab a coffee. Now you're you're asking them for another Zoom meeting when they've probably got 10 already on the books that day. Yeah, it's hard. I think that At the individual level, I think that's about prioritization, right? So if there's someone that it's really important for you to 
network and connect with this person, I think that it's worthwhile to make that ask because, you know, they can always say no, right? There's no harm in asking. They can always say no if they have too much on their plate or they can schedule at a time that works for them. And I would also say, you know, meetings don't have to be super long, right? Like you can cover a lot of ground. Think about your casual interactions with people at work, right? You're not like hanging out in an elevator for an hour talking to someone. It's like these short interactions. So it's fine to schedule like a 10 or 15 minute check-in with someone um, and have that predetermined time to connect. These kinds of connections are becoming more normative, especially now, you know, months into this, that I don't think they're going to be taking anyone by surprise. And, you know, people aren't going to be offended by these kinds of asks. At the organizational level, this is something that companies and, you know, team leaders need to be building into the day. So they need to be building in time for people to have this sort of connection time or networking time, um, you know, and make sure that that time is protected. So these are really important functions that happen at work during normal life. And that needs to be replicated in this virtual space. Otherwise, you know, people aren't going to be able to connect and feel a sense of sort of psychological safety and feel like they're growing and developing and meeting and all of the important things that sort of build this foundation from which they can do really great work will be lost. And so I think companies need to build that time into the day as well, um, just as much as individuals should feel comfortable to ask other people to have those kinds of meetings. That leads really easily into uh, my next question, which is if you are a manager and you're you're seeing your employees maybe eight months into this realize that they may not be back in the office for another eight months or more, um, start to seem burnt out and fatigued by endless virtual work. What can you do to kind of re-engage them and and re-engage them in like, you know, the fun parts of work life as opposed to just trying to get through each day? So I think that that, again, it requires sort of a mindful approach to how you're going to lead your team. And so you have to prioritize team building. You have to prioritize these kinds of energy boosting activities by building this recovery time into everyone's day. And this should not be like, you know, once a week we chat for five minutes about, I don't know, what we're watching on Netflix or whatever. This is like really should be built into every single day where you're encouraging people to kind of relax and connect in a way that we're not able to in person right now. So some things that I've done that I actually found kind of fun. So I'm part of the Institute for Gender and the Economy at Rotman. We had a Zoom party a few months ago. And I think going into that Zoom party, a lot of us were like, oh, I don't know, how is this going to go? But it's actually really, really fun. Like we had breakout rooms where we kind of all chatted. They sent out this um, recipe list for like cocktails and mocktails ahead of time. And, you know, it was super inclusive in a way that those kind of casual after work happy hours sometimes can not be because, you know, some people are excluded from that for any number of different reasons, but this was like built into the work day and everyone was included. Um, And it was actually really fun. I've done, you know, like things like scavenger hunts. Like these are really like planned out activities, but it can also be very simple. It can be something as simple as like just going around and talking about, you know, how, how you've been doing. Like one thing that you think is going really great in your life right now, one thing that you're trying to work on changing, like it's all of this kind of sharing and sort of um, personal connection type stuff that is really boosting, um, energy boosting. And I think that those kinds of conversations usually happen casually at work, right? This is kind of your like chit chat, like casual conversations, which happen at work in these like chance meetings and encounters when you're 
you know, passing people in the hallway, for example. But this kind of time needs to be built into the day now because, as you said, it seems very unnatural for people to be seeking out that time, right? Like, I'm not going to email my coworker and be like, hey, let's chat for five minutes about, like, I don't know how I'm feeling, (laughs) you know? It just seems like a lot. Um, And so I think if you're building that and making that sort of normative as a team leader, then I think that communicates also to your employees that you care, right? And you care about how they're doing, how they're connecting with each other, and that you were creating and blocking out and protecting that space. Here's my last question then from the employee's point of view. If you're realizing now that you're going to be doing this for another eight months, and look, for some companies, their employees might be at home permanently. What are the major things they should be doing right now to prepare for the fact that, you know, this is work life now. This is not temporary anymore. Mm -hmm. I would say this is the time really to be thinking about setting yourself up for success. That means, I think, building systems, putting into place systems that are going to allow you to succeed over the long term. And that might mean interrupting what you're doing now and kind of like stepping back and taking a pause on how things are going right now to build and rebuild those systems in a way that will work. And that means experimenting with them. So it means like experimenting with the way that you set up your workspace and changing if it is not working, Um, experimenting with the way that you're setting up your schedule during the day, changing that if it's not working. So it's all about sort of iterating around what is it that's going to make this a successful time for me. And that means really identifying priorities, things that are really, really important to you and things that need to be cut. Because I think what we're all noticing and coming to acknowledge during this time is that we can't just do everything 100% anymore. And some of those things, some things need to be dropped, some things can stay. A lot of what we've been talking about today is about time management, really, it comes down to. And I think setting core hours for work, you know, like periods of time during which you're accessible, communicating that to your team, even if you're communicating that daily, right? Like your schedule might change every day based on what's going on at home, based on what's going on with the tasks that you need to to complete. And I think that communicating those expectations to your team is one way that you can set yourself up for success because then people aren't looking for you during times that they know that you're not available. You're not on the hook to be available, you know, 100% of the day as well. So it's just about those kinds of systems, I think, right? Like building that routine, building the space, um, and thinking about it now in terms of a much more longer term than, you know, throwing together whatever you threw together at the beginning of the pandemic to get you through what you thought might be a couple weeks or a couple months. So now it's about really thinking about these sustainable systems that will help you succeed over potentially a longer term. Sonia, thank you for all this great advice today. If I can add one piece of advice, get a good chair, too. That really helps. I actually have a standing desk, and it's really changed my life. So there you go. No chair or a good chair. Or a good chair. Yeah, thank you again for uh, all your help on this. Thank you. Dr. Sonia Kang, host of For the Love of Work. That was The Big Story. If you'd like more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. We've done a lot on working from home because... We're still here. We're going to be here forever. You can also talk to us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can email us. We're at TheBigStoryPodcast at rci.rogers.com. And speaking of that, remember at the beginning of this, we used to ask you folks to send us stories of what your life was like now. You can still send those anytime, and we're happy to play them. In fact, last week, after our episode about the Atlantic bubble, 
a listener named Tom, sent us this because what he was hearing on the podcast didn't match what his life was like on the ground. So I will leave you with Tom. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Thanks for listening. We'll talk tomorrow. Uh, Hello there. Um, This is Tom in Nova Scotia. Love the show. Big fan of the big story. Um, However, I was quite taken aback by your uh, episode about life in the Atlantic bubble. Um, I was shocked to hear it described as feeling, quote, uh, normal, Um, whatever that means these days. I uh, am recently moved my family back here. After 20 years away, we moved here from Toronto in June, and my experience uh, of life in the Atlantic bubble uh, is that um, the reason it seems to be working is because I found it to be more restrictive than life in Ontario. I think that the reason that, um, that, that, that things are so good down here is people have been working tooth and nail uh, to, to get to the state, and they're working tooth and nail to retain this state here in the town I'm in, the local Highland Games Festival was canceled. The theater festival was canceled. Their 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 Friday night concert series was canceled. The um, I'm in Anaganish. The Saint of X Athletics Department is on full hold right now. The teams aren't even allowed to go to practice or get their team portraits done. So everybody's always wearing their mask. People are. Uh, talking to each other from their porches instead of going inside each other's homes. We've been blessed with a very beautiful fall. These people out here are dogged about their their dedication to this project. And um, uh, there's nothing about life here to me uh, that feels normal or any less restrictive than in Toronto. Quite the opposite. I think the big story here is that the bubble works because we're we're working hard and we're making big sacrifices, and they appear to me to be continuing to make that those sacrifices every day.